Welcome to the High Premises Files podcast with me, your presenter, Charlotte Howden. I'm an HG campaigner and the co-producer and presenter of the world's first documentary about hyperemesis. Sick, the battle against HG is available now on Prime Video in the UK and the US with other countries following soon. The High Premises Files podcast acts as a voice for all women who are currently suffering with or who have survived High Premises Gravidarum. In 2018, I was privileged to interview Dr. Marlena Faiso. Dr. Faiso is an HG survivor and a faculty researcher with joint appointments in the Department of Medicine at UCLA and the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology at USC. She is also the person who found a genetic link between nausea and vomiting of pregnancy and hyperemesis gravidarum. When I interviewed her for Sick, the Battle Against HG documentary, we had what felt like to me the most eye-opening, amazing conversation about the real causes of this condition. And it was so eye-opening. And again, I felt so privileged to be speaking to the woman who had made the link between HG and our genes. Now, for the short film, of course, our conversation had to be cut down quite short to just a couple of minutes to briefly get over um, her research and what she had found out. And since then, I have had hundreds of messages from women who have all been so intrigued about this genetic link and wanted to know more. So now we're doing the High Premises Files podcast, I thought you might all like to listen to our full conversation. So here it is. Enjoy. Dr. Faiso, I've been looking forward so much to speaking to you and learning more about your groundbreaking research into the causes of hypermesis. But before we talk about that, can you give me a brief historical overview of what researchers have assumed was the cause of HG in the past? So, yeah, there were basically two main schools of thought. Uh, so the first one was that it was hormonal, that it was caused by pregnancy hormones, and the main hormone that has been studied is the pregnancy hormone HCG. And then the other one, which is very unfortunate, is that it was commonly thought by some people that it is psychological. Uh, so there are many psychological theories. Um, one of the most absurd was in the 50s, uh, it was thought that hyperemesis was caused by a woman feeling ashamed about being pregnant because it proved that they had had sex. So, um, yeah, so many of these theories are ridiculous, but unfortunately it's been perpetuated for decades and decades, this psychological theory, and it's really very dangerous for the mother to have clinicians and family members um, treating her like it's all in her head at a time when she really needs help and compassion. But was there ever any sufficient evidence to, to back those kind of views up, all those, those thoughts up, those mindsets? 
Uh, well, with HCG, uh, really the only evidence is that it is, uh, the hormone rises and falls around the same time that normal nausea and vomiting starts and ends. And so that's really the only evidence for the HCG hormone. There have been many, many, many studies of HG, HCG levels in women with hyperemesis to, compared to women without, and they are, remain controversial. Uh, even recently, some very large studies that have showed no difference um, in HCG levels compared to women without HG. Uh, and so it's time to kind of close the door on that since there've just been so many studies and it's still not uh, proven. And then for the psychological evidence, that's primarily based on studies of anxiety and depression during pregnancy. And HG is really a chronic disease. So uh, chronic diseases are known to, to be associated with anxiety and depression. So imagine you have this chronic nonstop nausea and vomiting. And on top of that, this chronic disease is during pregnancy when you not only have to worry about your own health, but also the health of the baby. Uh, so of course, that's going to lead to increased rates of depression and anxiety during your pregnancy. Uh, in addition, I have people in my study who ha have such violent vomiting that their retinas have detached or their eardrums have burst or their ribs have fractured from the violent vomiting um, or their esophagus is torn. So um, this, of course, is going to cause anxiety at a time when you're supposed to be able to uh, eat healthfully uh, and instead you're starving and losing weight and you may have to take medications that have unknown safety for your babies. So it's now generally becoming more accepted that it is, uh, HG is the cause of the uh, psychological sequela and not the reverse. Mm -hmm. So why did you decide to uh, personally focus your research and dedicate quite a large part of your career to, to understanding what, what causes HG? Yeah, so back in 1999, I had very severe hyperemesis. It was so bad that I could not move without vomiting. So I, I had to lie totally still for weeks and weeks. I couldn't even sit up. I couldn't use the bathroom. Uh, I couldn't eat or drink uh, anything without vomiting. And so Eventually, I became so weak that I had to use a buzzer to communicate, and I had a uh, I had a suction machine like they have at the dentist office because I was basically foaming at the mouth like a poisoned animal. And um, finally, they put in a feeding tube, and I was put on seven different medications at once, but nothing worked, and the baby died at 15 weeks gestation. And after that. Um, I am a scientist, so I decided to focus on what was known about hyperemesis, and I looked into it, and there was so little known that then I decided to start to answer questions about hyperemesis. And so uh, since I'm a geneticist, 
I thought maybe it's genetic. I don't have it in my family, but um, I did a partnership with the HER Foundation where we set up surveys and we asked women about their family history and we did find that there was a 17-fold increased risk of having hyperemesis if your sister had it, which uh, gave me uh, impetus to start the genetic study. And what have you and your team found out? So um, I partnered with the personal genetics company 23andMe and what they did, uh, they have uh, basically their customers are sequenced and then they also answer surveys. So they had pregnancy data and genetic data collected on over 50,000 women. And so we compared the variation around genes in women with hyperemesis compared to women without hyperemesis. And what we found was that there was very significant difference in the variation around the genes GDF15, IGFBP7, the progesterone receptor, and the receptor for GDF15. And so what GDF15 is, is it is a hormone that is expressed at very high levels uh, in, it increases rapidly during early pregnancy uh, in the placenta. And then the receptor, GFRAL, is in the vomiting center of the brain. So what it seems like is happening is that you get this rapid rise in GDF15. It goes to the brain, and we know for sure that it causes appetite loss uh, or changes in metabolism. And so... Uh, so that is likely a uh, important factor involved in the etiology of HG now that we know that genetic factors contribute to uh, changes in GDF15 and GFRAL. Um, and the other genes, IGFBP7 and P the progesterone receptor are also expressed at high levels in the placenta and during pregnancy. Okay, so we can unequivocally say that HD is genetic. It's not It's not psychosomatic, it's not psychological, it is a physical um, condition that women will have because they very likely have these genes. Uh, yeah, so it is uh, definitely, there's a genetic component to it. So uh, the pre presence of nausea and vomiting in pregnancy is primarily genetic. The severity has been estimated to be a little over half genetic, meaning that your genes contribute to a little bit over half of it, but then the severity can be modified depending on other factors. And you can imagine that what those factors are, are for example, let's say you define the severity, uh, the severest form of HG is when you're hospitalized. Mm -hmm. Well, there are many other factors. So you may have all the genes, that predispose you to being hospitalized for HG, but there may be other factors such as insurance that may decide whether you're going to be hospitalized or not, or there may be other factors like, let's say you have small children at home that you need to cook for three times a day, that you need to change their diapers, uh, that you need to bathe, uh, all those may increase the triggers uh, that cause you to vomit more often during the day and therefore may be more likely to end up in the hospital compared to someone who might have support at home, like a mother who's helping them with these 
opportunities so that they don't have to be exposed to all those triggers all day long. So um, there are certainly other factors besides genetic that, that play a role. Um, but yeah, there is definitely a very strong genetic component as well. Okay. Yeah, so I think that like for someone like myself, when I got HD, it was such a shock because no one in, in my family, as far as I, I can go back about 100 years in terms of the female side of my family, no one had, had ever had, you know, even really bad nausea and vomiting. So it was such a shock. So is it that the genes just have arrived in me or have I, have I got them from somewhere else? Because there's certainly no um, female link to say that the HG would, would be something that I would suffer from. Yeah, so that's a really good question. People ask me that often. I also did not have HG in my family. Yeah. Uh, what we don't know is we don't know how the genes interact. So um, it could be that you need to inherit a combination of these risk genes in order to get HG um, that may have to be inherited from both sides of the family. In addition, we did do one study where we looked at maternal grandmothers. So um, we let's say you asked your your mom's mom if she had HG and you asked your dad whether his mom had HG, we found that there were the same rates reported for having your HG come from your mother's side as from your father's side. So you can imagine that if the gene comes from your father, of course it wouldn't show and then it also has a chance that it came from his father and then it would show up. So, um, just because you don't see it in your family does not mean that it's not there. I understand. So it, very likely from my side then, it probably has come from my father's side, or at least there is that possibility. And that's why it's such a shock for some people because they've just never seen it before. Yeah, okay. Um, one thing I, re I wanted to mention to you was when I first found out about um, what you had discovered in your research, I was frantically Googling you to find out everything I could. Um, and I came across a presentation where you were talking about similarities between cancer patients and women suffering with HG. And you said something that had a real impact on me, where you said women who are suffering with HG feel like they are dying. And that's probably because actually they do feel like they're dying and which you know when people have asked me before what, what's you know what's HG like that's one of the things that I would say I felt like I was dying but that view was never validated anywhere but now I think you you might have some evidence that actually supports that. Yeah so one of the fascinating things about the hormone GDF15 that we found was linked to HG is that it also causes cachexia, cancer cachexia. So cancer cachexia is what kills about 20% of cancer patients. They wow. die because their cancer is producing too much GDF-15 and it causes this appetite loss, very similar to HG and muscle wasting, and they just end up dying. And so um, what they found in cancer patients is that the patients that are dying from cachexia, they have about one nanogram per mil of blood higher levels of GDF-15 in their blood compared to 
cancer patients that don't have cachexia that are able to eat normally. Well, what we found in our small study on women who are hospitalized with hyperemesis is that they have five nanograms per mil on average higher levels of GDF-15 than patients with normal nausea and vomiting in pregnancy. So if cancer patients uh, can feel like they're dying with a one nanogram per mil difference and women with HG um, may have on average a five nanogram per mil difference, you can imagine that they really feel like they're dying. <laughs> yeah, well, when you put it like that and you look at those factors between those two, um, you know, cancer patients and HG sufferers, it's it's a massive difference, isn't it? So no wonder you, you do have that feeling almost like your body's breaking down, it's attacking you, and you you honestly believe that it's very likely that you are going to die. So given that, what are your next steps for you for you and your team? Where are you going to be focusing your research now? Uh, so um, I have a few ongoing projects. One is to uh, fully sequence the 1,700 women that I have collected. So um, 23andMe, uh, that study just looks at common variants, but I would like to see in our women what the rare variants are, and that way we can kind of understand the full genetic spectrum of HG and start to untangle what's going on um, completely with the genes uh, that we found to be associated. So that's one study. Um, I'm also um, interested in looking at what the levels are of GDF-15 and IGF-BP7 uh, during different time points in pregnancy to, so that we can start to see what uh, is normal and when it becomes different in women with HG compared to controls. Um, and then um, just looking at how GDF-15 works to understand um, what exactly it's doing um, and uh, what other proteins it interacts with so we can start to understand and develop treatments. Do you think um, what we were just talking about, that, that similarity, that link between HG sufferers and cancer patients might mean that more research, more funding, more interest will now come from that, from your research especially from the cancer researchers and um, cancer charities to be able to look at that specifically the cachexia and try and find a way to help cancer patients in the first instance to be able to overcome that so that they may be able to recover because they can take in food they can take in fluid and then hopefully HG sufferers and researchers like yourself may be able to almost piggyback off of that yeah, so that's the great thing about the uh, GDF-15 discovery is that um, there are pharmaceutical companies actively researching the pathway and trying to develop drugs to uh, to block GDF-15 or lower the levels and also to block the receptor. I know there's already a phase one trial to block GFRAL, the receptor for GDF-15, um, and so those companies are going to develop those drugs for cancer. And then, like you said, eventually, just like they've done with most of the other antiemetics that women take for HG, they'll be hopefully prescribed off-label and hopefully they'll be safe and, and work to treat HG. So when do you think 
we might see a cure? <laughs> um, that's the big question. So, um, like I said, there's a phase there's a phase one study now um, for a GFRAL inhibitor, and so phase one usually takes about two years, and then um, then it goes to phase two where they start to look at efficacy in a small group of people, uh, and then it has to go to phase three where they scale up the number of patients that they look at, and these are going to be, of course cancer patients. So um, that process costs millions of dollars and uh, also it usually takes a lot of time, probably at least 15 years. Um, but uh, then hopefully after that, there'll be some successful drugs that come out of it that can be used off-label to treat HG and hopefully they'll be safe and effective. So hopefully in our lifetimes then. I hope so. At least we help <laughs> our children, our daughters. So. Fingers crossed for that. Yeah. Thank you. Thing, thing is that they are uh, the they are also developing GDF15 for the reverse. So um, there there are many drug companies trying to produce uh, GDF15 like drugs that would cause weight loss. So there's also wow. Okay on that end, which isn't going to help HG, except for the fact that they'll be helping study the biology, which will be important to understanding how HG works as well. Thank you so much for talking to me. It's been fascinating. Um, you Thank know, you. It, it's one of those subjects where I shouldn't really be smiling talking about HD, but I am so excited that finally, and whilst it is going to take time because um, any kind of um, new drug process it has to be lengthy for obvious reasons, for safety reasons, et cetera, et cetera. But I do feel now as an HG survivor that, like you said, in the future, there is some hope for our daughters and our granddaughters. So thank you so much. Thank you for listening to The Hyperemesis Files. If you have been affected by anything that has been spoken about in today's podcast, please visit your local hyperemesis charity or speak to a healthcare provider. For more information about the documentary Sick, The Battle Against HG, please visit www.thesickfilm.co.uk.